My name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Before all of the wins in my portfolio, I was a little boy diagnosed with polio. Experimenting with cures, I tried every one. Felt everything in my right, but my left was numb. Walking with a limp, like will I ever run? Once again, or is this it? Am I forever done? Living in the hospital was never fun. Some people were cool, but not everyone. You never know who you're lying in a room with So I broke a broomstick in half and let it groove with The concrete in the bathroom floor It had a new tip, stashed it behind the toilet In case I ever had to use it Cause one day Dolores had a chat with me Said she got word someone was coming after me My heart started beating rapidly I looked in front of me and back of me Who thinks they're whacking Welcome, me? Welcome everybody It's time for another adventure Adventure Oh my God! Oh, Hollywood Godfather podcast, and I want to introduce our compadre lady friend, fortunately and co-anchor, Jeannie. Nice seeing you again, my darling. It's very nice seeing both of you. I'm glad to be here as usual. And my partner in crime, co-writer, and good friend, Pat Piccarelli. Good evening, everyone. Here he goes with Boris Koloff again. <laughs> That's right. If you're good, I'll do Boris Koloff speaking Italian at the end of the show. Okay, please. You've got to be good. So, would you let us know what this show is about, please? Oh, oh well, uh, Jeannie, you want to let us know what the show is about? Well, I had asked for, I know Gianni's as bad as me when it comes to hoarding pictures from your past. And I, I have totes and totes full of them. And I know Gianni, as part of your book and part of all of these shows, you have shown us pictures of you and everyone. So I wanted to see pictures that kind of cataloged your life. And and I'm really excited to see some of these of you when you were younger and talk about your journey. So we're going to see it in color. Well, maybe some black and white, but some color as well. Okay, so the way we're going to do this is taking it in chronological order. And the first picture will be uh, of you, Johnny. I tell you, when you first showed this to me a few weeks ago, uh, it's it's rather shocking. I mean, you're, you're a seven-year-old boy, and you're in a full body brace. In this picture that we're looking at now, we can see you basically from your waist up. But uh, as we discussed when we were off air, that brace goes all the way down to your feet. Yes. And, uh, uh, and uh, when we finished off the conversation, you were in this thing for six solid months, correct? I was in for six months, and you can imagine the shock you two of looking at it. I, I saw it for the first time about two years ago when we were putting this together for the book and, and, and our show based on the book, because I never saw the picture, and it was, you know, they never asked for anybody's permission or rights of my likeness, and it popped up. Thanks God, uh, thank God for Michael Austin, our research guy. And uh, with that said, I was in shock and in tears because I never saw the movie. I mean, never saw the picture. Only to find out that I was the poster boy for Franklin Delano Roosevelt for the March of Dimes. Now, for our audience that who's too young, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and these are facts I don't think both of you even know, 
Because, you know, my my relationship with Frank Costello, which I'm doing a documentary for Fox right now based on this, and Pat and I are doing a, a third book, The Son He Never Had. The parallels of my life with Costello is spooky. Because he, in 1932, was in Chicago and very influential financially and with the Democratic Party to get Franklin Delano Roosevelt nominated for president. Did anybody know that? Well, I know it now because we discussed this yesterday. But basically, uh, you know, like any politician, they need backing, they need uh, and they need power. And I would imagine Frank Costello supplied both. All of it. And the good news, what I didn't know also until we did this research, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was the only president to serve four terms, four consecutive terms. Well, they didn't have term limits back then. Right. And the thing, why they gave him, because he was so powerful. And the other coincidence is, and I didn't realize the compassion that Costello had for me, he had polio and he was in a wheelchair, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, all through his presidency. They hit it well. You see, that's the, you know, obviously that was way before the internet. And what you're saying is correct. A lot of people didn't know that he couldn't walk without the aid of leg braces. So most of his time was spent in a wheelchair. Right. Or behind the desk at the White House. And yeah making those congressional speeches behind the podiums. And it, it I'm, and we're, and again, I, I don't want to shock our audience, but I mean, I, I, I've actually, I want to wake them up because what Pat and I are doing now, finding the threads that tied, because I always wondered myself, why does Costello like me so much? He had Perhaps it's your sparkling personality. No, no, no. I was just <laughs> on the street. All I'm right. Talking about, he had an empathy for people who had inflictions like I had. So when he was coming to me early on, knowing I had polio and giving my money every day and not taking any pens or anything I was selling, it was because of this relationship since the 30s, which I find amusing and to me for our audience when you see this picture for me the b the poster boy for franklin delano roosevelt for the march of dimes that we collected all the money for jonas salt's experiment for the salt vaccine that cured all of us throughout the world of having polio ever again so uh, what you're saying is FDR, well, I think I knew this from uh, from school, you know, elementary school. He he initiated the March of Dimes program. Him and Eddie Cantor. Yep. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know who Eddie Cantor was, he started out in vaudeville. He was a song and dance man and uh, uh, went to the movies. Big TV uh, personality. Yeah, also. big TV personality. He, his career spanned 60, 70 years. He was everywhere. But... Uh, that's interesting. So what what we're looking at here, this picture that uh, picture of you in that brace, were you ambulatory in that brace? Were you able to walk around? No, no way. No, I, I was in ambulatory period because I, my whole left side of my body had no life to it at all. It was numb. I, for those of you who didn't read the book, the first book, uh, when, when I, I, I was doing it, Johnny would, uh, you know, but my first question was, well, when you got to the ward, 
the polio ward in Bellevue Hospital in Manhattan. How did you get around? And he looked at me like I had two heads. He's the only way I could. I dragged myself on the floor, which is what you did. Oh, yeah. Once once I had some strength. Fortunately, I was only paralyzed on the left side. So my right side, I had my strength. And then they would refuse to give me even bedpans because they tried to encourage you to get out of bed because so many kids have given up. They just stopped eating even. They starved themselves to death. Because when we talk about a 20-bed ward in 1949, we're not talking about hotel room hospitals now that have <laughs> television and radios and nurse stations. We were in a quarantine ward, 20 kids in a room. We saw people maybe three or four times a day or people coming in with gloves and masks on that didn't even want to touch us. And uh, so, you know, it's a, uh, I mean, I, I love the fact that I, I, prevailed i'm here and that that's driven me to 81 years of my energy people say why do you have so much energy well i remember when i didn't have it i, I appreciate my mobility in my life do you recall I mean, this is a maybe a stupid question it was so long ago do you recall what your reaction was i mean you're a kid you're a child when they put you in this brace what your reaction was i mean you're like a prisoner in that thing I didn't know anything. I, I was so upset. I did. I was confused more than anything. I was already an altar boy. I went to church every day with my grandmother. I know I didn't do anything wrong. And yeah. I would lay in bed every day saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Then they come and put this brace on me. And I'm saying, what's what? going on? If, if you had the brace on for six months, what was the reason for them taking it off? Well, I started getting my strength. And they wanted to build. See, fortunately, they didn't know what was wrong with me. It was like, you know, I a lot of this now I reflect on when we all been introduced to COVID. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know just by putting a patient on his stomach would save his life. When you were laying on your back with COVID, you were filling with these fluids that killed you. Then some smart nurse rolled the guy on his side, his vitals came back. It was one of those things. Nobody knew what they were dealing with. So for a while there, you were also uh, uh, exercising with a bicycle tire. That was uh, when they took the braces off. It was an took Yeah, when they took the braces off, they brought me bicycle tubes. And all I did was not exercise with them. I'd hold them out as long as I could. And they said, your elasticity muscles are destroyed. Fortunately, it's not my lungs. Fortunately, it was, you know, it was something that I could rebuild, which I did. Obviously, here I am yet. But uh, a lot of kids didn't have that opportunity. They were really iron lung people and people who they just deformed, period. And Johnny, never... tell me, will you tell me, I've heard of the iron lung my whole life, and I saw a picture of one, but will you tell me what that did? The iron lung was because the, your respiratory system, that muscle that contracts your heart and your lungs to breathe, you didn't, have, you didn't have. So they created that in the iron lung by creating oxygen and then letting it out. It was like an expanding ex and, and your lungs. So it started to get a motivation. And then after a period of time, those muscles rebuilt. That's what the iron so, lung. So was. those kids that were in an iron lung were in it twenty four seven. Twenty four seven. Only their head was exposed. 
I don't know how the hell that's torture. I mean, I, you can't roll over. You can't sit up. Can't do nothing. But I'm never in something like that. That come and shoot me. Both somebody come smother me. Well, yeah. you, you know, it's so smart that you're saying that because even myself, you know, I I laid there a couple of times. And I said, you know, what am I doing this for? You know, I, and thank God for Dolores Barone for the people who didn't read our book. Dolores Barone was a floor nurse that was asked to look in on me. She was from the neighborhood. And uh, she used to give me that extra jello or that extra pudding at the end of the day. But the most important thing she did, unbeknownst to her in the world, she gave me that hug that I needed every night. Because nobody, I could cry now about it. But you're talking about, you don't know, because when they came, took a kid out for therapy, he never came back sometimes. So that bed was scrubbed for 24 hours. They desanitized it. And the guy went to heaven. And I'm saying to myself, I've been praying to go to heaven forever. I don't want to go yet. <laughs> but, you know, that's how crazy it was. But here I am. Fortunately, I'll be celebrating 81 years, December uh, 12th. <laughs> you know, Johnny, that, that, yeah. that heart-rendering story. Let's, uh, let's celebrate the second picture, shall we? No, no. Let me see what I want to hear. What oh. you, I, I was just going to say, I look at my little granddaughter who is six years old and so full of life. And gosh, it makes me almost cry to think of someone taking her away and putting her in a hospital where she never sees her family again. I can't imagine. Uh, you're, you are such a testament to just making the most of your life because uh, I, I can imagine it just wrecked people and just to be without your family, torn away and stuck in a sterile hospital where nothing nothing ever comes back for years and years and years. You never see your parents. It's just, it's heartbreaking. You tell your story and I'm sitting here getting teared up thinking, my goodness, it's... No, it's and the thing is that, you know, the good news is that people always ask me, why do you have the attitude? Like Pat always says to me, you're always high, you're always happy, you're always this. Why wouldn't I be? Yeah. yeah, I could have perished in 1949, 50, 51. And and gave the thing up. Is, you know, kids, I mean, it's it's all about their parents. It's all about being right. Uh, 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 your parents make you safe. Your parents make you happy. You got to probably go to your parents. From the day you went into that hospital, once again, for those of you who didn't read the book, five years without seeing anybody. I mean, that's got to be on, on a kid's underdeveloped mind when your parents are gone your life is gone right your brothers how many brothers and sisters do you have gianni at that time i had two sisters then okay. i had another one but you know it wasn't even that what i have to say i, I thank dolores barone but my faith in god and my religion is still today right. that's my whole life i believe in it i really believe in it and that's, that's what i've survived for I've been shot, stabbed, run over. I mean, I'm around now. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, I, think I'm I think I'm invincible now. <laughs> Don't say that. Right, right. <laughs> well, we're, gl we're glad you've made it through all these uh, crazy well, days, you. but you. you're incredible. No, all no. right, let's let's go on to a, a Cheerian note. The second picture that I'm looking at here is a shot of you and uh, uh, Sinatra facing the camera. Uh Tell us what the background of that is. That was at Dutch Reagan, who was Ronald Reagan. Mm. They were doing an NBC special for the president of the United States' birthday. 
in the back lot of NBC. And my relationship with Sinatra is, you got to come to this. I said, okay. And there I was that night with every dignitary in the world. I was a bum. What am I doing over there? What, what year was that, Johnny? Uh, whenever Reagan was in office, it was a while ago. Well, he was in the uh, 80, 82, uh, 88. So somewhere in there. And somewhere in there, they did a big special. Sinatra hosted it. And everybody that was anybody was there. And I was the only unknown, but I was there. <laughs> Well, I did The Godfather already by that, but you know, Jimmy Kahn and Pacino wasn't there. I was there. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, we'll go to the next one if my mouth works here, and it does. Okay, it's so, a uh, picture of uh, uh, it, it's a it's a split screen. Uh, Sinatra's on top. It looks like from his uh, his uh, uh, Paramount Theater days. I mean, he was very young there. Oh yeah, what's the power? Uh, and, and there's you on stage. This is part of your cabaret act. Yeah, exactly that. And that's when I pay tribute to him because uh, Carlo Gambino's niece gave me a transistor radio at almost the same time we're talking about, December 12, nineteen forty nine. I turned seven. I turned on the radio, and I found out that Sinatra and I shared the same birthday. And then he became my mentor because they told me all about his hard times. His mother was a barmaid. His father worked hard shipyard. He came from Hoboken, humble beginnings. And now he's doing six shows a night at the New York Paramount. And I said, well, I can do this. And he encouraged me to move on. So uh, talk a little bit about your, uh, this uh, uh, cabaret act that you have. Uh, I you know, I I realize it's based on the book, but how do you how did you organize it? What do you do? I mean, it's ninety minutes long, correct? Eighty, eighty exactly. What the casinos wanted, the okay. casinos wanted eighty minutes so to get the the players back in. Oh, and yeah. fortunately for Tom Cantone and Mohegan's Son and all the so it's work. What do you do? Talk, sing, answer questions. What do you do? Then I I take it chronologically through my life with mu music, songs, my experiences. And uh, there's everybody in it. I mean, Elvis is in it, Sammy Davis, Dean Martin. My life is a dream. I mean, they, I mean, so many people read our book, thank you. But the people that didn't, my life is insane when you think about what I achieved just by wandering through the streets. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, this particular picture, this looks like uh, uh, Sinatra when he was first starting out. And I'll tell you when that picture was taken. It was at Paramount Theater in 1949, the day of my birthday. It was his birthday also. And this and guy went six shows a day. A day at the New York Paramount. They Nobody couldn't get the Bobby Soxes out of this theater. I know. Well, he was extremely popular. I don't know if uh, yeah. people can relate, but he was like the, the, the rock star of that time. Oh, my God, he was. That but, but six shows. I mean, the guy had boundless energy. I mean, started at mid, started at, at, at twelve o'clock. Well, the shows are only like a half hour, forty-five minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then they clear it out, and you do the same show. But it was still six shows. But yeah. and they were making tons of money with him. That's when he left Tommy Dorsey and went on his own. All right. I am looking at a picture of you on the side of a building. Again. That's because of that show. I pulled into Mohegan Sun up in Niagara Falls View, and I see myself 
12 stories of me leaning on yeah, the Yeah, I, I, I was just counting. Uh, it's 12 is, stories. <laughs> so this is Mohegan Sun. That's the Niagara Falls movie that's owned by Mohegan Sun. Okay. But the funniest thing, I was saying to myself, why didn't they give me the money for that sign? If I'd made more money. Than she All right. This is the first time I'm seeing these pictures. Uh, so this is one of the stops in your cabaret act. Yes. And, and thank God that they've been so good to me. How many venues have you done so far with this act? Uh, 180. But, but who's counting, right? Right. <laughs> Yadi, you're like a rock star. I'm still on the road. I got so many. I'm going. In fact, this show. If you're in St. Charles, Illinois, on October 15th, I'm doing two shows there. I'm in uh, Portland. I can't believe I'm back in Portland, Maine, on November 10th. I'm sold out already 400 people, and they're doing another show. We had to get another show. Good for you. No, Daddy, what's the closest you're getting to me? Well, make a phone call. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, what, what, what's the closest to, to well, Utah probably you're Philly, getting? You're nowhere probably, close. Probably Philly or somewhere like that. I'm coming, believe me. I mean, the casinos have to bring me in because I, I do make a few dollars doing this. So This is Utah. Utah. There's no casinos here. Yeah. <laughs> there is some. I did have a friend go to a bingo party yesterday, but that's about <laughs> that's as racy it. as it gets here. <laughs> no, I get more than a jackpot, believe me. <laughs> oh, I'll bet. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, this is you. Or this, yeah, are you in this picture? Yeah, yeah, you are. You're in the corner. This is with you with Gladys Knight. Oh, yeah, Dion Warwick, Joan Collins, Stevie Wonder, and Elizabeth Taylor. These are just people that are having to drop by your place or what? No, this is at the Grammys. It was one of the one of six Grammys I won for music. People oh, don't know that. What year was this? I well, that was for that's what Friends of War. Major, okay. major, major record. That Did I you give heard. us some kind of a time frame here? Oh, yeah. Well, it was for Amfair, for Elizabeth Taylor. We were raising money for AIDS. And Quincy, in fact, Quincy Jones and I talk about it all the time. We gave all that money to them. We got nothing. Yeah. And we look at the stars that are on it. And it was called That's What Friends Are For. But I won other Grammys with, uh, I did one with the Bee Gees and Dion Warwick. I, I managed Dion for 15 years and crossed her over like so many stars needed to do. So I put it with the Bee Gees. I put it with Kashif. I put it with uh, so, so many different guys and, we, and, and women. And uh, I, I, I produced them, Patti LaBelle, Gladys, and Dion in Theaters of the Round. And uh, so, I mean, I, I got... Uh, I got one Oscar for music. Stevie Wonder and I did the Lady in Red, which Dion sang and got an Oscar for that for the soundtrack of Lady in Red. You know, I'm I'm fascinated. You know, when I was writing this book, we had just met really. I mean, this is a while ago. And I just asked a, a logical question. How did you get into talent managing? How, I mean, the answer was I mean, I I was astounded. You knew you knew nothing about the business. Nothing. It, but, even though where to begin, and you just picked up the phone and you called her and you said, "I want to be a manager." She went for it. No, no, no. It, it was different than that. We did. A, I mean, the way it really happened was, uh, this is funny because uh, Bert Sugarman has a show called Celebrity Sweepstakes, a big show years ago, and he had three celebrities as the panel, 
And this particular show was George Hamilton, Dion Warwick, and me. In fact, George Hamilton and I were darker than her. <laughs> yeah, he's a perennially tan. So I said to her, because most people don't know, they do a game show in one day. You wear five different chains of clothes. They do three shows. Then you take a lunch break. They do it on a Sunday. They pay you a flat fee for $7,500. But it's great exposure if you're selling albums or doing whatever. So I happened to say to Dion, I said, Dion, what happened to you? You had such a great career because I'm blunt. You she really know how to flatter somebody, you know? She smacked me right in the face. <laughs> I said, what's that about? She said, what are you talking about what happened to me? I said, well, I remember in the back seats of my car, it was you and Johnny Mathis. I, I mean, you're probably responsible for some kids I had. And she even got more. <laughs> I said, what, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm between management. I said, I can manage you and make you a big star again. That's you how never met anybody in your life. Never. Yeah. Never. But I made, I made <laughs> phone calls. One of my favorite things about you is you have the uh, just the guts to do anything that pops into your head. Why and not? I, I love it. From someone that gets to be uh, somewhat of a coward from time to time. Uh, if I'm good and mad, I can do a lot of things. But there's a lot of things that I'm like, oh, there's no way I could do that. And you, you just like, all right, I can do this. And you make a success of everything you touch. Oh, no, I'm not a success of everything I've touched, but it seems like it. But no, but the thing is that I'm not afraid for people to say no to me. What can I do? I make a phone call. What, you turned her career around? I mean, that's a yeah, good one. I think for a long time, actually. You know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy thing. And then, you know, I was influenced by a girl. We were, I will never forget it. We were at Westburn Music Fair. We gave our three backup singers their two weeks off that we had to do. And we brought in this girl. And I knew her mother, Sissy. Sissy was the lead singer for the Blossoms, Sissy Houston. And she had a daughter called Whitney. And I heard Whitney vocalizing in the in the in the, in the Westbury Music Band in the back, vocalizing. Vocalizing five octave range. So I called Clive Davis, who's the head of Arista Records because he did a favor for some friends of mine. So I called Clive. I said, you got to come listen to this girl. You're coming anyway. Get here early. He couldn't believe it. Her name was Whitney Houston. <laughs> and she had to be probably a, a, a 15, no, maybe? No, no. She was 17. Okay, singing in the gospel in Orange, New Jersey. Never had a record. He took her out. The mistake they made, and I keep saying it, and I'll say it on the air again, and, and, you know, and as we all know, when they did Bodyguard and she had that relationship and with the actor, what's his name? He's a big actor. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. The label said you became too white. And they made her, made her, to save her career, marry Bobby Brown. Do you believe this? Well, and it also killed her. And he well, he became a drug dealer, hello, and I'll say yeah. here, let him come after me. Uh, I knew her father John Houston for a long time. I tell you, you know, you should write a book. I, we are writing four. Okay. <laughs> you just had to remind me, I'm getting old, you know, the brain is gone. All right. 
Next picture is uh, you with a guy that is probably your biggest fan. That would be the Pope. Yep, John. What Pope is this? This is John Paul II. I knew that. I just wanted to see if you knew it. No, I <laughs> you know why I knew it? That And we, you wrote about this in our first book. Yeah. Nick Nitty and I were couriers, bona fide couriers, moving money. We moved $600 million through the Vatican out <laughs> of Vegas. Yeah. And he became Pope because there was a Pope just before him for 30 days that didn't go along with the program. <laughs> and the program by Bishop Masinkas was the head fiduciary. And this is what we did. And I recall when that Pope died. It was a sir, cup of tea at night. <laughs> came, came out of nowhere. They said, well, the Pope's going to, uh, to bed. He's got a slight cold. And he died that yep. night. Did you know this, Jeannie? You're looking in amazement. Well, I remember the quick switch, but... but well, the quick, you yeah, know what's so funny? That the Pope, Pope died in his sleep without any real... No oh, real wow. But you know, it's, and I shouldn't say funny. We were there for the inauguration. First, we were there for the funeral. Then they had the inauguration of this being elected. So we left and we came back. We went to that inauguration. And then that funeral, the week later... And then Pope John Paul, who I fell in love with immediately. This guy was like, when you saw this man, he was miraculous. There was a thing about him. And we really hit it off. I mean, I used to see him once a month. We'd have dinner. I'm dinner, having dinner with the Pope. He'd show up with a trench coat, a fedora. Nobody even knew who was the Pope. He, he was the skiing Pope. He used to ski. You know, I, he did everything. This guy, I mean, and now with my grandchildren, who live in Puglia, they go to a school that I just had the name changed to St. John Paul. He's a saint now. And my little grandkids say, Papa, you're the only guy I know who owns a new saint. I knew a saint. How nuts that is to say that. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Uh, it's going to be very hard to top, top that, so let's go to a commercial first. All right, please. We're going to go to a commercial. And I did a commercial earlier. I really want people who are in the St. Charles area Come out to my show on October 15th it's going to be about this book, everything we're talking about. You'll see these pictures and more. Come out there, St. Charles. The place is called the Moonlight Theater. Where is St. Charles located? In Illinois on a Sunday. All right. doing, we already increased the second show. I'm doing one at 4 o'clock on a Sunday and 7 o'clock. I really want you to come out. That's the commercial for this the show. I'll okay, pay. I'll be back. Yes, we're back. Okay. Uh, so anyway, how did you get in this picture with the Pope? I was proud of him. The Pope probably made a lot of phone calls. He said, I, I want to get a picture with Johnny Russo. No, 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 no. It was the other way so, around. I got, no, it's funny. <laughs> Lou Wasserman, this story even gets worse now. I mean, I mean, you, you can't believe what I'm about to tell you. Lou Wasserman, he was coming to America. Lou Wasserman, if people don't know, was the head of MCA and Universal Studios at the time. He was he was the president during the whole Ronald Reagan stuff. Lou Wasserman was a powerhouse. He had a dinner at Universal Studios for the Pope. And the Pope asked me to be part of his attache while he was in the United States. So I went to a couple of states with him, <laughs> had fun. This is a classic. So to meet the Pope, it was an extra $10,000 
donate it to the Catholic Church, and you can have a private audience before the regular big thing that we're having for them. So I'm back, to, you know, where they had all the stuff. And Sinatra comes in. He's trying to, what are you doing here? I said, oh, no, we're with the Pope. Did you pay 10000 I said, no, 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 let's not even get into it. So I don't want to tell him. So now, I mean, you're talking about the Lacrim, the Lacrim of, of Beverly Hills. Everybody's at this party. So now they come with the Pope's, his his guy with the little encyclopedia, the, uh, the, the uh, exilophone, ding dong, ding dong. Everybody, please leave. His eminence needs 10 or 15 minutes. Please go to your seats. So Frank grabs me. He says, come, we'll go out and have a drink. I said, I can't right now. What's that about? All right, somebody's playing music in my background. Anyway, so I said, I got to stay here a minute. So now everybody goes. And they're all sitting outside. And they're waiting for us. And I meet them. And now they're going to call the dais. And they gave me a title. I became the Count of Adona from Adona, Sicily, from my family. It's a title. I never use it, never will. Oh, I'm going to start calling you Count from here on in. And I'll start counting one. Okay, there you go. I mean, you, you got it somewhere. You know, someone's gonna. You know, uh, uh, my son Alice came by today. He said, "Hey, who, who's in the picture with Gianni Russo?" I mean, that's how famous you are. <laughs> <laughs> Where is that music coming from? Do you hear um, it? I don't hear any music. Good, good. Okay. Let me tell you something. This is scary. Now you hear music. Jeannie doesn't hear music. I don't hear music. You're okay. talking about John Paul. I think he's trying to send you a message. Okay. So anyway, this is funny now. So now they call, everybody goes and sits down, and they start reading the people on the dais. So I come out, and they said, the Count of Adona, Gianni Russo. And I come out, everybody clapping, you know, and everybody's like, Gianni Russo? You can hear it coming from the whole, you know, there's a thousand people in the audience. So now I'm sitting on the dais, and he, he did their speeches and all that. Sinatra tries to approach the dais. Well, the, the, the Pope travels with his own guards, and they stopped him. They said, what are you doing? He said, I want to go talk to Johnny. So please sit down, sir. This is Sinatra. He looked at me. He said, what do you mean, please sit down, sir? I'm Sinatra. They said, sir, please sit down. We'll have you have it removed. The council <laughs> have an audience with you after the exhibit. No, I didn't. I, I got off the dais and went to talk to him. But I, I just, he said, I'll never forget. I can't believe this was so funny. I don't know. But I got, man, what a life. Next picture is you and Marilyn Monroe. Oh, yeah, man. Okay, this is a side shot. But you can tell it's you, of course. But, uh, oh, you know, but the bottom where, line. How, when, set the picture up. The picture, I'll tell you exactly the time it was. It was. July 31st, up in Calneva, I went up there to be the eyes and ears for Costello. We knew she was going, and Sinatra tried to convince her to be in bed one more time with Bobby Kennedy. So this is 1962? Yep. Okay. 60, yeah, 62. July 60. Yeah, she was, she was killed five days later. Hello. Wow. So we were there for two days already, Saturday night, twilight time. Sinatra pulls it aside and says, we have your room up in Calneva, which is uh, a resort 
that had bungalows on the California side and the Nevada side. So you can come into it on the California side and nobody knew there were certain mobsters up there. With that said, Sinatra said, we need you to do this favor. It's already two years that the mob made him president of the United States. He called off the Bay of Pigs in Cuba because the deal Joe Kennedy made, this is American history we're talking about. Joe Kennedy made a deal with Frank Costello and the mob, get my son president of the United States. The first duty he would do is invade Cuba and give you all your casinos back. That's why they did it. It was always about money. Bobby, they didn't realize when he made him attorney general, everybody got on the phone and said, Joe, bounce that. You can't have him as attorney general. Nobody realized, even John or his father, realized that Bobby hated what his brother and his father represented with the mob. He went after all their friends. But Bobby didn't know the deal he made. So there was a message sent to Joe in Hyannisport. And yours truly was walking down the driveway when he must have opened the envelope and you hear him screaming. And he was put in a wheelchair from that day on. He had a stroke. This picture then was of Cal Neva. It's Cal Neva yeah. on Saturday night, August 4th. No, the, no, the Maybe last. Early than that. No, no. August, said no. July 31st? July 31st. Yeah. Then she left. She started screaming, I want nothing to do with these Kennedys. I'm going to the press. She called Joe DiMaggio in San Francisco to come and get her. Joe DiMaggio called Sinatra. Said, What's going on there? She's screaming. He said, mind your own business. Don't come. I often wondered if he came and got her out of there, she'd probably be alive. Because what most people don't know, she wanted to go back with him. And they were going to have a kid. What people don't know and what we found out that night, she aborted a baby six weeks prior that Bobby inflicted her with. And she all she ever wanted was a kid. She was going to the press. When I came back and told Costello that, he said they're going to kill her. And they killed her four days later. On that happy note. Yep. Next picture is you. Let me just oh. say I love that picture, Gianni, because the smile on her face is so genuine. Oh, yeah. We had, it, you know, it just, I, I love that. It we just had is four years of friendship. And was it not was not what anybody wanted to say? And a, a couple of people said some stupid things to me. And I, one guy I smacked, I didn't care about it. I had a friendship with her. It was not a sexual thing. We were yeah. so she was able she was able to give herself, but yeah. she was a fabulous person. Well, you can just see that she just seems so happy to see you in that picture. I, I love that. That's a, that's a great picture. Heartwarming. Thank you for noticing that. This uh this picture that I just turned to was uh, Al Pacino. You, who's the woman? I don't even know. That was the that was the world premiere of The Godfather. I snuck in. We wrote about it. Remember, I was in hiding. Yeah, yeah. I snuck in. I didn't go to world premiere. I went to that party. That was at the Regency Hotel, the night of the world premiere of The Godfather. Andy Williams was the first time we ever heard the lyrics of "Speak Softly, Love." Henry Kissinger was there. Everybody was at that party. She looks a little bit like Cher. That's what I was just going to say. No, no, I, I know her name. She's an actress at the time. Pacino was dating her. 
uh, Cahill or something. I forgot her name. Okay. Pacino looks so young. Oh, we were all. 50 yeah. years ago. Hello. <laughs> 52 years ago. But who's counting? My God, long time. All right. Uh, this is uh, the iconic scene from The Godfather. This is the next picture of you, your blushing bride, and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Corleone. Oh, yeah, that was out at the wedding. I just threw that in there because uh, what we're doing, my, you know, for people who asked for this show, I remember somebody asked for these things. And Genie. Oh, Genie. Yeah. How could I forget? But yeah. these are classics, I think, aren't they? Yeah. How could I not show you my first picture <laughs> in the motion picture? My bride. That's the best way to get married in a movie. You know, I was, just, I was looking to see that picture. That's what I was. I was getting trying to get a bird's eye view and see who that that woman was. But she was with Al Pacino, not you. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've had a few gals around. So I would have to imagine you may have forgotten one or two. No, I think was her name. Could it be Jill Claiborne? Oh, yeah, Jill Clayburn. Uh, yep, yeah. you're right, because I just I just looked it up. Who is it? Who is Jill Clayburn. Yeah, Pacino was dating her at the time. Yeah. Mystery, mystery solved. Hey, if you, Jeannie, if you ever looking for part-time work, you know. Give me a, <laughs> hey, you know it. Jeannie Rockford right here. All right. I got the T-shirt. All right. <laughs> this picture... Uh, uh, of the iconic wedding scene. How many takes? Oh, my God, Jesus. We were there a week. No, I mean, for this particular picture. Oh, who knows? Probably two seconds. Oh, I did. Oh, just one take. We went to snap it. That was it. That's all they did. They had, they had so many photographers, and, and they just picked through what they wanted. Let all me right. ask you, because uh, clearly you're very famous, Talia Shire. Who's the lady next to her? Now, that was a lady. That was a lady I got of the job. That was a jazz singer, famous jazz singer called Magano King. And Magano King, they needed an Italian lady to be Marlon Brando's counterpart that could speak Sicilian. And Magano King spoke perfect Sicilian. That's wonderful. It's funny because I've seen this picture so many times. I, I'm glad I remembered to ask because no, I, I just thought that's somebody I don't know. Did she continue acting? No, and, and, and why she didn't was so funny because in Godfather 2 or 3, she dies in the movie as a character, and she refused to get in the coffin. She created so many. She had about words. I will not get in a coffin. I'm sorry you couldn't pay me enough. She walked off the set. They wiped her out of the business immediately. She never did anything. Well. They eventually got her in there. Oh, no, she was in there. But I mean, oh, no. She... <laughs> no, but she, if, if I recall the scene, it's, it's, she's in a coffin. Yeah, but they put a, they, they put a body, they put a person and made her up. Wow. She didn't get in it. Anyway, yeah, she was primarily, she was primarily a jazz singer. I mean, that's, a, she was very well known. Book went on, stayed with the career. Great. Maybe. Great. Yes. Oh, that movie did a lot for her career, actually. I can imagine. Yeah. All right. She's passed away. They were making a joke when you said they eventually got her in a coffin. Yeah, well, eventually <laughs> we're all going that way. Well, some of us. Oh, not me. I'm being cremated. Me no, too, Gianni. I'm very claustrophobic. I don't want to be waking up in a coffin. And I don't want to be underground with worms crawling over me. No. <laughs> I'm I'm with you. You. I tell you uh, what I have in my will. 
No. I, I want to be blown up. By who? What does she look like? <laughs> no, not, not like an inflatable dog blown up. Uh, I, I want to be blown up. Uh, I'll just find out somebody who doesn't like me. I'm sure there'll be plenty of volunteers. And just, you know, throw a couple of sticks of dynamite and blow me up. But, but you, okay. I won't even go near that. There's a lot. All right. I just, a lot I just of, a lot of are you going to be cremated there. first? Pardon me? Are you going to be cremated first, or you just want the body not, not, not blown buried, up, not want, you know, cremated, I, just blown up? He just wants to be spread around the neighborhood. Yeah, they're going to, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's so much of me, all, all this love I have to give. One <laughs> stick of dynamite in each hand, at the count yeah. of three, boom, that's it. I came close a couple of times, but that wasn't my idea. All right. Oh my Next God. picture uh, is oh, you. Uh, you smiling broadly, and Robert De Niro was what passes for a Robert De Niro smile. Right. Where was this taken? That was taken in his office when we were making a picture together that fell apart, unfortunately, with Terrence Winter, which is coming back now. The way, the way, I think I talked to Terrence this week. Terrence is interested in our book, so you'd be happy. For our audience that doesn't know who Terrence Winter is, he did Boardwalk Empire and so many other things. And uh, we have two major people right now interested in doing our book into a 10-hour miniseries. Wouldn't that be nice? Hello. So uh, I, I, does Robert De Niro actually have teeth? I mean, I've never seen the guy smile. No, he's been lipped. No, he's really a nice guy. He's just so messed up mentally. <laughs> I mean, the guy, the guy comes to my house in disguises, and I'm supposed to let him in. So I was just at your house knocking on the door. I said, who? Who are you? The guy dressed as a sailor. I said, okay. <laughs> Oh, Maybe call ahead. Yeah, you, but you look impeccable ahead. as always, Gianni. What's that? You're always photo ready. You look fabulous in your suits. I, I'm not just who I am. I don't care. That's know. it. Johnny's got it. Okay. No, I don't. No, I don't. Okay, this is. I would call this an iconic picture. I've seen it on so many Italian restaurants I've been in. You're on the wall, and uh, uh, Marlon Brando was pinching your cheeks. Oh yeah. One's on your face, so people don't get the wrong idea. <laughs> no, that, no that, that became a great picture for the 50th anniversary of Godfather. Where and when was this taken then? That was taken in the scene in the movie when Mike, when Michael says, Carlo, it's going to be our new guy in Vegas. Tom, you're out. Yeah. And I'm leaving the room, and, and Marlon Brando opens the door for me, and he pinched me on the cheek. He says, I'm proud of you, Carlo. Because that goes with his saying, Keep your friends close and your enemies close. And that was the ironic scene of that. This it's picture, all over the world, that picture. This picture has, it's everywhere. I went to a, a restaurant here. In fact, I spoke to you guys a couple of years ago uh, called the, the Godfather. Or, no, Corleone's, I believe it was. Right. It had the same font as it uh, was on, on the cover of the book and right. for, the, uh, uh, for the movie poster. Everything in there was Godfather. There's Godfather. That the mills were were named after scenes after people. I believe you were uh, a, a a lasagna dish, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, but this picture was on the wall. It was huge. It was like a, a one by two feet shot. And I've seen it elsewhere. I've seen it in Vegas. I've seen it. No, it's been. A, thank God. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm. As you know, I own the rights to all of that. And there's a lot of places that I've sent. Cease and desist. They have to take them down unless they're paying me royalties. 
Yeah. You've closed down a lot of restaurants. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> well, I, I turned this place. And first of all, it, it didn't deserve to be in business up because they copied everything. Godfather. The food sucked. I figured oh. they, 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 no, they don't deserve to be, you know, to call themselves an Italian restaurant. <laughs> and but not only that, Gianni, your favorite is, uh, from what I, what I remember, you always talk about your favorite Italian meal being the clam sauce, right? Or one of your favorites. Oh, not lasagna. White clam sauce. That's how I always tell a good Italian yeah. restaurant. If they can make yeah. that fresh and good, I'm coming back. There you go. There you go. All right. Next, uh, you and Elizabeth Taylor. Her hair is almost hiding you there. Uh, um, that, was, that was given because we spoke about it lightly before. When we did That's What Friends Are For, hmm. she created a, a, a charity called Amfair for AIDS. And we gave her all the money for that. Everything we from, that's what friends of she got. And we don't know what she did with it because <laughs> we did asked that, people later on and said, we didn't get any of it. Did that charity die with her? Or just because AIDS is under control now? I, I don't hear anything of Aunt Flora anymore. I don't hear anything about it at all. We we, we wanted to create an investigation. She died. Yeah, so we don't money, know where the money went. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I, I think it went into her hair. I mean, look at this. Uh, yeah, it's probably piled she in. Had, she had a very, very great taste in jewelry, so maybe a little in yeah, there. A lot of that, Rich Burton. Yeah, yeah didn't, she have a, didn't she have a perfume that she called Diamonds? I of think course. it was White Diamonds. That's huge. Yeah, that was still, it's still, still around. It's still around. All right, uh, folks. Uh, that was uh, Gianni Russo's Life in Pictures. I hope you like it. So, Jeannie, you created the show. I love it. That's great. Well, you know what, you know, Gianni, I'm always, I'm always fascinated by all your pictures, and and when I tell people about the show, and I'll tell them, you know, Gianni has, he tells us so many different things about his life, and the neat thing about it is, you've got pictures to back it up. So if somebody's saying, "Oh, that's BS," I'm like, "No, no, no." There's a picture of him and so and so, or him and so and so. Well, I know so, I hear that all the time. I well, it, understand it, it, it. It, it. It was it was her idea. So you know, you want to you want to talk to him about creating a montage of his work. So thank you, Jeannie. It worked out well. No, thank you. Oh, Jeannie. Yeah. I, I thought I thought I didn't know it was you. I appreciate yeah, it. It was thank her. You. you know, she's going to be running a show one day, probably in the next. Whatever, week. please but, be our help. But we need the help. Yeah, it's going to be the Jeannie Raymond show. Oh, no, no, no. It's perfect yeah, what it is. I, I'm so thrilled to be a part of it. I absolutely I, love it. But I, I do. I've always enjoyed your pictures, Gianni, and, and I find them to be so fun. If you have some more of you and Elvis, I wouldn't hate seeing those because I've always been a big Elvis fan. Wait till you see the show. When, whenever you see the show that we did, I was there December as, as a, a, a reward of getting John F. Kennedy, helping him get uh, nominated. Maya Lansky and Sinatra flew me down for my birthday to the Fontainebleau Hotel when they did the special for NBC where Frank Sinatra was hosting, welcoming Elvis Presley back from the army. Oh, I, sat, I sat there with these two guys Sinatra and Ellis, the two biggest stars in the world at that time, 1961, I think it was. And and I do it in the show, and that there's a duet that they sang together, and then it goes black, and I say to the audience, I know what you're thinking. Is he going to sing an Elvis tune? I am. 
and I sing Elvis and blow them away. Oh, fantastic. Yes, what, I do want. I've got wise men say. Wise men say. That's the song in it. Oh, I, I pretty much, I think I pretty much know any any Elvis song. In fact, we mentioned it in something and my daughter laughed and said, you know, she had told her little grandkids, or my little grandkids, every Saturday morning, Grandma Jeannie would turn Elvis on way up loud and start cleaning and vacuuming and because they said, who's Elvis? Because they're just yeah, little kids. They said, you're going to have to ask your Grandma Jeannie. All right, please. <laughs> Well, thank my, you. My kids grew up thinking Elvis was still alive because they had to hear him so often. Oh, oh, you, you haven't heard? <laughs> Don't Elvis. burst my bubble. He's Elvis. alive. He's alive. Yeah. He's alive. He's, uh, he's, he's behind the counter at the local Dairy Queen here. I'll tell you what, I'll get you his autograph. How's that? I'd appreciate it. Oh, anything for you. All right, folks. That's uh that's a wrap, I guess. I mean, we've gone through the pictures. All right. Well, Yanni, thank, thank you so much for sharing those. Oh, no, thank you. Please. I really like talking about all of it, fortunately. All right, everybody. Good night. Good night, Good night. Jenny. Good night, thank you. Gianni, thank See you, you next week. Yes. Please. And that was that. And I'll be back. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Want to ask us a question for the mailbag? We love hearing from our fans, so submit your questions online at hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com or you can give us a call at 646-776-3038 and leave a message. Contact us anytime with your questions about past or future shows, your favorite celebrity or anything you'd like to know and who knows, your question may even make it on the air. Remember to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Hollywood Godfather and at Real Johnny Russo. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review with your podcast provider or your video streaming service. We'll be back next week with another exciting show and who knows who we may have on the show. If you don't want to miss out on an episode, remember to subscribe. Until next time. My life's like scenes out of a movie. I'm the Hollywood Godfather, truly. I got stories with them all. You know, celebrities, world leaders, icons. Who knows what's next for me? I'll never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back until next time. And that was that.